Before the episode starts properly, I want to let you know about a really cool thing that is happening to me, which is that I am publishing a book through Unbound. Unbound are a publishing company, which means that they don't publish things that they don't think are good and that they edit and they support their authors. The thing that makes them different from other publishing companies is they're half publishing company and half crowdfunding company which means that the way that the books get published is that people who want to read the books pre-order those books they can pre-order them as a digital copy or as a hardback or they can pledge more money to get different kinds of things along with the book that they're pre-ordering unbound approached me in december to see if i wanted to adapt my show what about the men mansplaining masculinity into a book and i said yes please i definitely would like to do that and so that is what i'm doing if you go to the unbound website and there'll be a link to this in the show notes you can find mansplaining masculinity over there and pre-order a copy of that book The way that this book is going to get made is by people like you pre-ordering it and pledging to it and people like you telling other people about it, sharing it on social media, recommending it to other people, those kinds of things. You can find out what the book is fully about by reading about it on the page. There's a video of me in a purple dress and fedora with my childhood toy dolphin telling you about what the book is about. Video is your preferred way to absorb information. But basically, Mansplaining Masculinity is about looking into myself and looking out at culture and thinking about how masculinity is constructed and created and how systematic elements contribute both to the ways that men are hurt by society but also the ways that men hurt other people in society. It is not a book that says that men are the problem. But it is a book that will say that we can be part of the solution. And if you want to get an idea of what it's like before you pledge to it, you can listen to a podcast of the show that it's adapted from on the website mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk. And also there was an episode of BBC Radio 4's Forethought called Liberating Men, which was a reflection on an extension of the show. So listen to those shows, see if you like what you hear, and if you do, then please do support and pledge to make mansplaining masculinity happen. In today's episode, I speak to a guest who has just appeared on my other podcast, although that is a fictional podcast, and so they appeared as a character, the character of Violeta, who went out in the most recent episode of The Family Tree, which you can find at thefamilytreepodcast.co.uk, or on iTunes or anywhere else that podcasts go to hang out with each other on the internet. The other thing to be aware of going into this episode is that it was recorded in a public space and in that public space things got unexpectedly noisy. So there is some background sound to contend with but like with most background sound, push through it and get used to it then it just will fade into the background and I think both me and my guest are loud enough that you can hear what we're talking about. It doesn't start off with really noisy background sound and it won't end with really noisy background sound but the bit in the middle we have to 
deal with the fact that there's lots of children in the building, in the background, and that is part of what informs the sonic environment in which this conversation took place. I remember going back home and, and seeing, you know, my best friends and feeling they had stopped in time. And I fast forward, I was like, I went really, really fast. I was travelling too fast and I couldn't really slow down and fit in that place again. I, I didn't, I never felt at home again after that. And I was constantly trying to be somewhere else. And that's a lot to do with my decision to act as well, is that idea that I'm constantly somewhere else and I'm right. constantly someone else as right. well. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Giselle. Hello, Giselle. Hello. (laughs) And uh, we're recording um, at Stratford Circus Art Art Centre. So we've got, in the background, you can hear there's some music. Uh, Please don't sue me if you have the copyright of that music. This is a public space and uh, (laughs) I'm not kind of playing your music deliberately. Um, And similarly, you also might hear people kind of in the background. In a dance class. That's right. There's there's a few different places you might hear people from. But we're in hopefully a relatively kind of private area that doesn't seem to be competing conversation. And that's, that's the most challenging thing, I think. If you've got another conversation you can make out in the background, yeah. um, it's, it's easier to tune out background music, hopefully. So background sound fans, that's, that gives you some context. The first question uh, that I ask everybody uh, is, how do you know me? I was recommended to you by Matt Hill. That's right. Which uh, I worked with in a very interesting project by a French photographer called Marcus Lyon. And it was a photography project uh, that he was tracing Brazilian... Uh, he was photographing Brazilians and um, tracing their DNAs, where they come from. And he was interviewing these people. And Matt directed me on the voiceover of those interviews to English because they wanted someone that could pronounce those names in Portuguese. They wanted a native Brazilian. So that's how I got to know Matt, who recommended me to you to the Family Treat podcast, which we worked with. And yeah, that's how I got to know you. Right. So Matt Matt Hill used to be the most mentioned person on the (laughs) podcast, but but, but he, he was never heard. But he came on uh, the 300th episode oh, of the show, so brilliant. he has been on now. So oh, I have to, to hear that, that. Yeah. to get some context for who he is. Um, Lovely. But like similarly to Matt, I was also looking for a native Brazilian. Right? Yes, and uh, he's somebody who uh, whose opinion about people's performance or ability to perform is, is is something that I trust. But at the same time, I'd never met you. I'd not even seen you perform. Yeah. So in terms of getting you on the family tree, that was interesting in that we had a kind of meeting initially. Yeah. Uh, me, you and Jen, who co- co-produced it and is equally as much an important part of creating it as I am. Uh, we all sat down together to, to kind of work out if we wanted to work together, yeah. like a pre-work yeah. Yeah. meeting. And like, for me to understand, I was very yeah, secure get, because I had never done it like, before. What the I was show like, is. Oh, I've never done like, Yeah. Yeah. And it's a yeah. particularly kind of it's a particular kind of show actually where the the, the skill set for performers is quite it is. specific. Yeah, and it's it, 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 it is very challenging. Right. Yeah, and it can be quite hard to work out like who's going to be good good for it. Um, and we were after oh we, yeah definitely but after we had that yeah. first meeting with you we were like 
she's going to be great. <laughs> I um, really enjoyed it. I felt really, really comfortable um, with you two. That was really, actually, really nice. Right. Um, when you get that trust and you, right. you know you can just relax and surrender to the challenge and yeah, let's do it. And um, you had you had so many good ideas that we were like really excited by that because that's one of the skill sets that performers really need to have is is because uh, they're co-writing it really co-creating yeah. it. Yeah. So like, and we we go to. We want the performers to kind of write their characters, mm, and you had yeah. so many ideas that kind of took us to different places that we'd already like that we weren't thinking of. We were like, "Yes, yeah. you know, she's the person we want to work with." <laughs> nice. The freedom was indeed uh, really, really welcomed. I quite miss the collaborative um, environment of working, and you know, right, your you've ideas done, being welcomed and yeah, and um, you've done co-creating. And, and yeah, work as well. Yeah, actually. but but so long ago, and only back home. So. I, I really missed um, the opportunity to co-create together and, yeah. and that was really, really interesting and I could see that we were actually, you know, developing it together, right. the, w- how the ideas were meeting and where we were taking them and, oh, it could be, oh, and, you know, that, that glimpses of um, genius uh, <laughs> right, moments. Right, yeah. it's, it's just really, right, really good when, when you meet and it's, uh, you and Jen, you're like this human with two heads how you interact and you think together and you're so in tune with each other it's so amazing once you can enter on that same vibrational level you can just flow and just everything goes so fast i was so amazed how how easy and how how smoothly it went it was, well, it was really nice i mean that's great to hear it's i mean i guess being in tune with each other probably comes from like it's going to be our 17 year anniversary yeah. coming up so i oh, guess wow. we've put the, the hours in that's lovely but also like mm. it's, it's it's like any of these things like we're not in tune all the time in our relationship we certainly no, can, course, can have disagreements yeah. but like it's great to, to hear that we're like working like that when, yeah. we're, when, we're, yeah. when we're doing the family tree yeah. well I could really see how you catch each other's sentences how you finish oh, or, cool. do you know what I mean how you, you, you really have a very deep understanding of each other's ideas you don't have to explain everything right, from the beginning exactly, yeah, yeah. because the person's not with you you're right. like no you know you know where I'm going we can just Right. right faster and and yeah I mean and, and, and meeting with you was really exciting and then we had another character meeting where we developed all of that and mm. then we sat down and recorded an episode of The Family Tree which hasn't yeah. aired yet dun, dun, dun. Um, yeah. right and you're a new character so people <laughs> people will know kind of nothing about like how you will fit into The Family Tree at this point dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but at the same time like it means it's a, it's a strange thing for me today to be sat down with you because we, we don't really know each other we've had yeah. two creative meetings that have been yeah. really primarily about creating stuff mm. and then we've had a we've sat down for an hour and, and talked like we're doing now but you were in character right yeah so so this is it's really fascinating for me to kind of get to know you today like outside slightly outside of those contexts yes and I'm kind of looking forward to that that was one of the things that I, I think is kind of interesting about the process of the family tree is that we had all these meetings and all of these conversations and then when we sat down to perform it the conversation that we had kind of went in very different ways yeah. than, than I think any of us were expecting yeah. because because this is the thing I find constantly about the family tree. You work out the ideas, then you put the actor into the scenario, and there's different rules for what a character feels like they want to say, 
than there is to what like the ideas you have in the in the kind of creative side. So definitely, like, yeah, it's the, the whole challenge of improvisation. Sorry, interrupting. Yeah, yeah no, 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 interrupt. No, you should. The, I think the challenge for me because it was the very first time that I did any live improv. I don't even know if you should frame it that way, right. but it's, it, it's, it's very a, improvised. It is. It is a kind of improv. I think yeah. that is very different from improv in some way. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's we had such a background, but you still don't know. You have that cue, but you don't know where it's going to go. It's in it. You plant the seed and you really don't know the shape of right. that plant. It put me so much out of my comfort zone. Right. And, and it's such a great challenge, you know, because we're always so comfortable about talking in your comfort zone, the things that you have complete power on or you're, you know, you're well-versed and, you know, you're just comfortable talking about it. And for so many times I found myself like, ooh, really don't know if I should be saying this. Oh, I could be offending someone. And, you know, all those moments that you go outside your comfort zone which is what I thought it was the most interesting about the work in itself and how you at the freedom and the power of getting it out of control and you right. get so much more to your work I find listening to the other podcasts as well which I assume it was kind of the same methodology but yeah, it's yeah. still that trust that you give to the performer to yeah. I mean, it's the same methodology, Go ahead. although we have been developing that methodology, I guess, and it changes each time. It's the same methodology, but it's still a different person, still a different scenario. Yeah. And like, actually, outside, like with this podcast, outside elements can affect that podcast. Like, in one of the scenes in the new series, we had a, a pot of tea. We'll, I'm sure we'll be fine. We have some... some Oh, a school trip is happening. <laughs> They're going... Like I think they'd be going 20 somewhere. kids passing by. They're actually really quiet. They are being very quiet. Yeah. But they nice. might be gathering well here. Done. Good we'll teachers. see how it goes. It, one of the scenes in the new series, there's a pot of tea and it gets spilt and that becomes kind of part of the, of the drama, which we didn't anticipate. <laughs> we didn't know that was going to happen. Right. Let's see what's going to happen now. Yeah, so to the listeners, to fill, fill you in, as we said, there's a school trip. We're talking quite a young school trip. Uh, maybe, primary, yeah. yeah. primary school, but kind of maybe, people, I reckon six or seven? Uh, yeah. They might be. Yeah. But yeah, I see them look really young. I think they're five-year-olds. Yeah, maybe five. Yeah. So I think I think they're having their lunch, it looks like, on and a school trip. And they can closer So that explains why, why there is the sound of children in the background. I mean, the, the, those children are kind of demonstrating yeah. the, the, the kind of point I'm making yeah. about, like, when you when you record in kind of these kind of open spaces or in realistic settings, like, things can happen that you don't expect that become part of uh, what you're doing. When you're not pretending and faking it, your flexibility, isn't it? You're, you're constantly having to stretch your ability to adapt and to be flexible, I suppose, yeah. Right. Maybe we should go up one more level. Okay. You think? So we're going to pause and try and resituate. <laughs> so we're, we're in a, a different location, in the same room though, so there is still children in the background, but I think they are going to be eating their lunch and then going, so I think it's going to be fine. Right, so the, the second question that I ask everybody is, what do you do now? I'm a professional actress, voiceover artist, performer, and... I work on different projects, different lengths and um, different targets, different people, um, <laughs> completely different abilities. 
I suppose. Um, does that answer the question? <laughs> it it kind of does. I mean, it's such a hard question in some ways. It's such an existential yeah. question, particularly for performers it or is, artists. Yeah. It's like, what am I? Um, <laughs> in a crisis. No, I, I find I question the idea of defining someone based on what they do. So I find that very limiting, you know, to think a person can only, you know, is defined by, by their, their main yeah, 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 their yeah. main activity, which, you know, it's always going to be unrealistic, to, to say the very least. Right, um, right, right, right. It's not that, yeah, yeah whatever anyone answers yeah. at this point, it's not, it's not who they are. It's not who they are, and, and uh, how do you define someone, and why do you need to define someone, right? right. Why, the, why the boxes, why the categories? But... I'm that kind of person that's much more interested in learning as many skills and dancing on as many platforms as possible instead of specializing in a specific one and going much, much deeper into that one. I'm much more interested in working with as many projects and different abilities that I can put my hands on. So I find it very hard to say in a very few words what is it that you're doing now because it's going to go into many yeah, many different, different places day, we, right? yeah yeah, yeah. And, and, and yeah yeah it's going it's yeah. to be different and if we do this in two months time I'm going to say I'm going to do it you know and I'm right. all these different projects and I'm interested in all these different things and um, that's how I like to navigate and um, to expand my horizons and I, I'm not judging I, I completely understand people that like to like specialize and, and, and go much much deeper but it's just not how I work and and it's just not the nature of acting in itself I at least for me I, I find it's much more interesting to be learning uh, and expanding instead of uh, narrowing right. and Right, so you're primarily an actor, I guess. Yes, yes, but I am. You, that was my, my, my BA is in acting and my MA is in performance art. Right. So, which is also another thing that I've been doing is a lot of performance work, um, durational, one-to-one, live performance, site-specific performance, um, which also led me to, because I did it at Trinity Laban Conservatoire of Music and Dance, I got back to be involved with dance and that led me to be involved with the community dance group which is also something that I'm doing and I'm very very uh, it's very precious to me I really really love it to be doing community art again right when did that come into your life like when did you start thinking about performing or like dancing or making art like whichever one came first I guess Acting came from dancing, actually. I, I was a ballet dancer since three, four years old, that kind of thing. And um, the end of year productions on my dance school, I remember being much more interested in the acting roles than in the <laughs> dancing roles. And uh, I, I mean, I was genuinely happy to dance. I still, I, it still lightens my, my heart to dance, but I remember being much more focused on the actors and right. on the dancers. And the parts, right? Yeah, or, or the dancing parts that actually involved more than dancing. I'm not sure I can say they involved acting, <laughs> thinking like, about it now, but they had so much more. And with that, I was raised listening to opera. My mom's completely obsessed with opera. So that's so much, such a huge part of my childhood, was listening to the opera. And I remember the moment... 
when my dad brought in my dad used to have video cassette um, store do you know when back in the day he used to rent cassette tapes right 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 uh, he used to have that for a couple of years and I remember when he brought the first cassette VHS not cassette isn't it VHS yeah, I think they're technically VHS cassettes so I think yeah okay right. good thank you um, of uh, filmed opera and I completely fell in love with it and that wow. was a massive point in my life when I first saw the operas that I was listening to for, for such a long time and, and they were acting and right. they were singing and they were dancing but right. they were mainly acting right. it wasn't just they were mainly singing but for sound. me they were mainly yeah, acting yeah, yeah. that's what I was interested on right. and I completely fell in love with thing. it yeah right. so it was it was through opera and dance but yeah well through dance I was on the stage already and through my dance school I had the opportunity to engage and slowly evolve to acting bits right. of the performance and then you know I got involved in um, theatre groups on my primary school very early on wow. yeah very early on I was I was always performing not in, self-conscious in, right. just you know just as a, a, a way to express creativity my mum says I'm, I was always dancing so I, I, I guess it started there um, and that I, was in Brazil, right? That was in Brazil. I got... I, I had the first glimpse that I was actually serious about it when I went to live in the States for a year. I was an exchange student for a year in the States and I had the opportunity to join the drama group there and we started touring. And I actually got a role and, you know, that was the first proper role studying a character. And I had to make a decision. I could either do that or engage with dance classes which would take all of my time right 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 yes um, school works very different the school system works very different in Brazil and you study in the morning well primary school you study in the afternoon and then um, secondary school you study in the morning only and it oh, right. starts really early but it finishes one o'clock right okay. you're, you're having lunch at home basically but in the states you know it finishes at four and that very little that's left in the afternoon I would actually be spending doing dance classes and I realized that I was much more interested in doing the drama classes right. and, and uh, be engaged in the drama productions well, so drama, that was the shift yeah both drama and dance require all your time it does at yeah. a certain point yeah it does like, it, it's, it really it's does. definitely one of those things where you, you know like doing A level theatre studies here you do one, you're, you're, yeah, you're studying, it should be a, a third of the, the things you're studying. Like when yeah. I did it, I was doing three different subjects. But it's more than a third because you have to be in rehearsals. It's all the, the, like, the work all that you take time. home. Right, yeah. Right, right. yeah. People often don't kind of realise that that kind of comes with it. And also that there was a lot of tension, I, I remember, between teachers from other subjects mm. and drama. Oh, of course, like, yeah. And, that you're not giving enough time for my, my students to do yeah. chemistry or whatever because yeah. they're stuck in your rehearsals. Oh, it's, I really hated chemistry. It was really <laughs> horrible. Uh, but I suppose when you're really serious about it, you don't ever really detach yourself. No, you're always you on the yeah. subject. So right. when, I'm in a, when I'm in a project, when I'm in a play and um, I'm researching... I'm deepening into that character. I never really detach from it. Everything seems to be always directing you towards it. And then you, you hear someone talking about something completely 
non-related and you're like oh that's so much what my yes. character you know you, you're always you're never completely detached and then you see a sign and everything it's converting towards that direction you never you watch a movie you hear so everything is always taking you giving you information feeding that stream you know that does that make sense yes it makes absolutely so, sense so you never I've I, I don't think I was on that level when I was a, a teenager, but I definitely couldn't... I didn't have the same dedication for everything else in my life. I was right. much more focused into that and, and, and getting to read as many plays as I could and watch as many things. You know, I've, I've, everything was already so much focused on that. When I look back at it now, I, I can see how much all the choices that I was making was leading me towards that... The very, the very decision to leave the country, you know, and, and go as a teenager to a different culture and understanding new cultures, right. so much related to my ability to interpret right. someone else, right? It's, it's that mean, understanding of... What you're describing is something I've kind of seen in you as well, like when we've worked on the family tree, that's been something that has impressed both me and Jen about your process, really, because, you know, when we're talking about having the same process, generally speaking... All of the actors have different different ways of doing yeah. what they do. Yeah. Like some of the performers are, are you know, are imp- are improvisers and, and do very little pre- preparation, mm. uh, and, and others um, are kind of much more like you. Like in terms of you did a lot of you know research, you did a lot of thinking, and you were doing things like, oh, I was in, I had this conversation, and this made me realize this thing about the character. Yeah. You know, it was obviously a part of your life outside of yeah. when we were in those meetings yeah. uh, and that's something I can really relate to because that's how I am yeah. uh, associating I isn't it yeah. yeah like whether it's performance or whether it's writing or whatever like that's the way I am I can't mm. I can't separate it from my life it's like it comes all the time in all, all yeah. sorts of yeah. uh, surprising places and I I think that's really valuable as well I, I like it when you're working on something and then you see something that's completely unrelated and suddenly you're like, oh, that fits in this really interesting way yeah, of what I'm doing. Yeah. And you're like, if I hadn't have seen that thing, I never would have made that yeah, connection. Yeah, and it's no, really yeah, exciting. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's, go, oh, it's, it's yes. a proper methodology of learning. That's yeah. how you learn foreign languages, actually. It's by association. You can't, you know, you can't grasp the concept of that word in a different language by associating to what that means in your own language. Right. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a, it's very handy to be able to do that actually. Right. Um, and and yeah. I guess you you know languages is something you've learned. Like, yeah. You, you know. You, yeah, I'm very passionate about languages. Yeah. I mean, so you're, you're you're Brazilian, so your first language is Portuguese. Yes. Um, but when, when how old were you when you went to America? Uh, sixteen, fifteen. I think I turned sixteen there, or yeah, um, I think uh, I went. I was fifteen, and then I turned sixteen there. And how long were you there for? For a whole year. For a whole year. For, ju- for just a year. The the school year. And ha- I was a junior. Did you already sp- speak English, I guess, before you went? I, or did you know Well, that? I thought I did. Is that, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> is that right, kind of idea. Yes. Um, as much as I thought I did speak English when I first started my master's degree in the UK, it's like, oh, I really thought I could speak English. Until well, I, American you know, I... Than, yeah. <laughs> it's not just it's that. Not just it's the, the level of research we were doing at the at the Mayor Laban even if I translated the words I still wouldn't know what they meant in Portuguese it's, right. it's that kind of knowledge that you 
diving into that it, it to, wasn't a language yeah, uh, when you get issue. Really deep, it was a, it was about, a knowledge yeah. issue. Yeah. When you get really deep, you have to invent your own words. Yeah. And that's the thing. You're learning yeah. a word that somebody else has invented by combining two other words. And yeah. It just becomes a very yeah. Complex. And 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 um, subjects that I really wasn't uh, familiar with at all, and you know, having to balance all of that. But no, I wasn't that fluent in English. And I still resent when people still today, still after five years after uh, I've been living in London, I still hear people asking if I'm American, and I'm a bit disappointed. I'm like, no, oh. um, nothing against Americans. I just wish I didn't have a, a, an American accent still. Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't think if I hear if I heard you, I would not think you were American. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't think, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't think you had been born in in Britain either. Yeah. Like, no. Like, definitely. Don't don't want to even touch. I don't even want to try. I think it's it sounds really really horrible when I say actors trying to reproduce the the British accent. There's something so particular about it. Yeah. Well, there's um, so many British accents. Uh, yes. As well. like, yes. The there is that. Know. But there's something so special about the. British accent it's it's so particular you know you don't get a proper really bad villain that doesn't speak British accent well, yeah. they have to speak you know they won't be as bad right. if they don't have a British That's accent true. do you know what I mean it's like the very particulars that's really really nice uh, and I really appreciate I, I'm in love with it I really love the British accent it's interesting um, as well that like British like that particular kind of British accent which is kind of upper class British accent um that gets kind of connected with evil villains yeah. and it's quite interesting to me like it makes sense really because that's the result that accent is the result of of you know hundreds of years of colonization yeah. and class yeah. like yeah. The, the, the brutality of the British class system oh definitely the, it's cultural of, yeah. Like, yeah has led to this kind of it, it makes sense that should be the perfect villain uh, yeah. accent because the people who've had that accent have been the villains throughout history. So, yeah. in my view, I can say, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm criticizing my, my own country, my own culture. Yeah, so that's I don't expect you to necessarily sign no, up. No, 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 I get people, it. I know. totally get it. But it's very interesting because, um, you know, Brazil was colonized by Portugal right. and we don't associate the Portuguese from Portugal, right. that, that Portuguese accent. We don't associate it with something superior at all. We actually make fun of it. The jokes that, in, um, I suppose, in Britain would be with the French, isn't it? Usually, right. you know, yeah, right, how many right. French people you need to change a lamp. Yeah, yeah. That's going to be with the Portuguese in Brazil. Everything, every time you want to you wanna say something silly or, you, you know, make a joke that you're making someone look ridiculous, yeah. that that joke's going to be the the, the Portuguese. That yeah. They have their very own logic and system that doesn't make sense in Brazil. Mm-hmm. You know, you just don't understand why they do it that way. And the way they use grammar, it doesn't make sense in Brazil. So everything, we don't associate that with superiority at all. Right. It's really interesting, I isn't mean, it? And it's interesting to say as well, it's, it's easy and, and, and right to bring up the British Empire and that needs to be brought up more. <laughs> but, but, like, that's another thing. Like, sometimes I feel like when we're criticising, you know, British colonialism, we should remember that there was all of these other European countries like Portugal, like Spain, that like did, Holland, yeah. like Belgium. Like, the really have brutalised the world as well so it's almost a get out to kind of go yeah the British are the bad guys they are but they're not the only ones so it's kind of unfair were, for me yeah, to say they were like, bad in different the ways to different There's people bad people yeah <laughs> I suppose if you talk to an Indian it would be a very different conversation absolutely yeah for me it's, it's no it's pages in a history book I didn't right. I didn't leave that colonisation it's right. not part of my upbringing 
So the way I perceive it, it's always with such a huge distance. In my perspective, it's so well preserved and it's not emotional. Do you know right. what I mean? So it's such a different uh, relationship to it. But well, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, my my relationship to colonization and that history has kind of developed over my life, I guess. And, and it's been massively influenced by the fact that my niece is uh, half Jamaican. That means that, like, within my family, there's both sides of this colonial yeah. issue uh, from this country. Like, there are both the, the victims and the, the perpetrators of that colonialism mm. are kind of alive in my niece, like, yeah. you know, in, in her heritage, in, in both, both parts of her heritage. So that's made me really reassess, like how connected I am to history and like nice. you know, my, my, my granddad in fact was born in India he was part of the Raj oh right like he was part of the oh Pasha. right like, so okay like, you know so it, it is it, it is alive in me yeah in, it's a different relationship yeah, 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 yeah. than it should yeah. be and, and but, it, but it, and also it's complicated like you say like who maintains the power after that as well yeah. like there's still a lot of power within whiteness and within Britishness yeah which, that's know, maybe part Portugal of it yeah. doesn't have that kind of relationship they didn't they lost it and they lost the respect and I, I believe also I was thinking about it what you just said there's the ability of how I well I, I really don't like generalizations right. but how I yeah, perceive it Brazil really doesn't play the role of the victim Right. So there really isn't the idea that we all poor Brazil, all these third world countries, right, all right, poor right. guys. It, it doesn't feel that damaged entirely of a, a possibility of a future. Instead, it promoted a different line right. of history. It, well, the history of Brazil is very different from lots of other countries that have been yeah. colonized. And every, every country that's been colonized is in itself got a different history it's yeah. like you say it's, it's a danger to kind of broad brush strokes these ideas it is um, and, and it's it not just Portugal you know you have massive you. German colonies right. you have the biggest Japanese colony outside right. uh, okay. Japan is in Brazil and, and you have this massive German influence and this massive Italian influence right. in Brazil so it, it kind of Portugal kind of got mixed and diluted so it, it's not as strong as I felt the British influence in America for instance right if, yes yeah, that makes you know a I mean? yeah so it really doesn't feel that strong at all right so you went to America for a year I did and then you you went did you go back to Brazil after that or did you come oh, I had to you, had you know to. your visa expires and I'm like oh yeah. I have to go back and now I think that's the very beginning of my process of I think once you cross that line, it's like a little river, and once you half cross it, once you leave your, your, your comfort zone and your culture, and you start truly adapting, or maybe adapt, I don't think adaptation is actually the word, but you start truly understanding a different culture than yours. Every time you go back, it feels much smaller than it was, or... I often had the feeling, I remember going back and meeting my old friends and having that feeling of <gasps> nothing changed. And I went into this massive change in a year. I was a completely different person and I had found myself into so many different aspects of my personality, my individuality, my what I wanted to do with the future. You know, 17, it's such a... Right. such an important it phase for important. your life and I, I remember going back home and, and seeing you know my best friends and feeling they had stopped in time and I fast forward I was like I went really really fast 
in whatever direction. Right, <laughs> Not right, sure right. if it was in the future, but I went really. I was traveling too fast, and I couldn't really slow down and fit in that place again. I I didn't. I never felt at home again. Uh, after that and I was constantly trying to be somewhere else and that's a lot to do with my decision to act as well is that idea that I'm constantly somewhere else and I'm constantly someone else as well and someone else displaced I've really indulged the idea of displacement something very uh, dear to me And, and, and the ability to adapt even though I couldn't quite. It's it, still today when I go back home. It's still a struggle. It's on the little details, but on the massive details as well. You know, it's on in all possible ways. It's very, very challenging adaptation. Right. We, we take it for granted. It's like, oh, the human being is capable of adaptation, but actually going through the process, it's very challenging and mind-opening and I find it fascinating yeah, I'm really clearly. interested on it the ability to to truly adapt to a particular environment and and, um, and even when you feel that you're when you think that you're adapted still not being able to feel at home Right. Which is a mock phrase from uh, uh, from that episode, isn't it? When he when he and his changeling made yeah, right. the transition to many, I could finally feel at home. I was like, oh. yeah, <laughs> right. And it's yeah. I mean, it's yeah. Th- th- that's very true. Like th- themes of kind of displacement or like not being kind of comfortable within your own skin and these sorts of things are very very. Uh, yeah, very much a, a central part of the family tree, and, and I guess that makes a lot of sense why you yeah. would fit really well into that. It's also interesting, like, so I guess, like, when you're in the UK or when you're in America, you don't feel like you've adapted fully to those cultures, but you don't feel like there's a problem in you because you're not in your na- like your original no. culture. But when no. you go home, that's where like the fact that like we feel like we should fit into our original cultures. That's often what I feel very. Uh, like I don't fit in very well to my like to, to the culture in this yeah, country. Yeah. And I, I moved around a lot growing up um, within the within the UK. Like I went from England to Wales, and Wales to England. Oh, which that's a big, a big change, difference. isn't it? Yeah. Um, and so I never felt fully at home, even in that very small geographical difference. <clears throat> uh, and so <clears throat> going to America or the UK and back to Brazil—that's a big geographical distance. It's a big cultural difference. It is. Even inside London, you can feel a massive um, change. I guess it's such a fundamental stone in our process of individualization and uh, how much the amount of importance we place on our personality development on how you blend in in these different places you know it's 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 such a, 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 a a massive part of how you identify yourself with others my son is a teenager and he's I can see that so clearly how he needs to do what his friends are doing. Right. Otherwise, he doesn't see himself as a teenager in that school. So he doesn't like basketball, but he needs to play basketball because his, his friends are playing basketball. Right. And it's damaging his fingers and he's getting all these bruises. And I'm horrified. It's like I, I had no idea it's that violent. And he draws and he makes beautiful drawings. And he's so talented. He's so creative. But his friends are not. 
So he's not investing right. in that, and he doesn't want to spend time developing his own art because he won't feel as connect as as you know identifying with the group, right. and and he needs that, and that's a a huge step of our process of how we understand ourselves in society but then once you're not a teenager there's a massive need to separate and right. to identify no actually I'm not like that and actually I don't want to do that and that was my own process of there are so many things that I don't agree with Brazilian culture of how the, the country is developing itself that I had to move out, that right. I wasn't happy then anymore. And um, so, no, I'm not, I don't have to feel that I'm, that I'm like that and I don't have to behave like that. And I often disappoint people when I say something <laughs> like, you don't sound like a Brazilian, you don't look like a Brazilian or you don't talk like a Brazilian, you know, that kind of um, <laughs> expectations that your body's not like a Brazilian, that kind right. of expectation that people have that you have to look, talk or whatever behave like that um, well Brazil is a very big country it's a huge country with massive influences and, then, and know, um, so many different yeah, kinds of, of ways course, to look Brazilian yeah. like these kind of yeah. like, and, and that's that'll be a, a result partly of, of being seen as Brazilian in a culture that's not Brazilian yeah. so people would be like you don't fit my very narrow stereotypical yeah. idea of what Brazilian <laughs> I is. should say exactly that yeah that's what it will be yeah, although you know well, if you're getting that kind of comment in Brazil, though, that's a different kind of thing. Like, if people are saying, you're not being Brazilian, that's a different kind of enforcement of kind of yeah. cultural norms. Yeah, and yeah. you get that, you know, you do get that here, you know. As a, I've, I've constantly been told uh, that I'm really American. Mm. Uh, and what people mean is, I talk about my emotions and my feelings. Oh, and that's what oh, they mean. Oh, um, I get that know. too. Well, that's not and just American. It's, it's yeah. kind of peculiar. Like which, it's, is, which is forbidden, uh, it's, it's right? Also, it's not it just an American sense. quality, but also... It's, it's, it's not, not even, identified as English. Yeah, that's the even, main point. I don't yeah. even think it's necessarily an American quality. Like, there are different ways that people no, conceal their no, emotions. No, it really isn't. In, in fact, yeah. there are ways that I... You know, I've just been going through... Uh, 20 weeks of therapy on the NHS nice. and one of the things I've learned in that is that even though I'm quite emotionally literate in theory like I'm quite aware of emotions and I talk about them I don't necessarily understand my own emotions or what right. I'm feeling or I haven't necessarily even given enough space for emotions yeah. in my life even yeah. though I felt like I'm a really emotional person like, yeah. so like, but the process all, of being exactly. aware that they exist and you're trying yeah, to understand it it's a massive step I do I do understand and I do relate a lot <laughs> to what you're saying and it's a, one of the biggest issues of my adaptation in the UK is the ability to hide feelings <laughs> right. um, which even though I'm an actress I'm not that good at it right. it's different when you have a mask and it, it relates so much to what we were saying about you know the social masks that we wear in different places and, and, and you know the masks that I wear in Brazil and the masks that I wear in the UK the seemingly <laughs> inhuman on my opinion ability to hide your feelings right. I, I just refuse to go there and um, <laughs> it's not that it's American it, it's just foreign it's right. something that you're taught on very young age you're not encouraged yeah. to do so. Um, British... You're thought that it's shameful, yeah. that you will look 
we call it's not just British culture that does that as well like I think that there are lots of other cultures you can look at like Japanese culture I mean I spent some time in Japan and I love Japan um, but you know as much as everyone in this country likes to think of Japan as like oh it's so alien and so different like we're both imperial nation imperial island nations where people are taught to kind of uh, suppress their emotions like that is is the case in both those cultures like when you know and so it's, it's interesting uh, that you're resisting that good yeah. stuff I, I approve of it resisting it <laughs> uh, it's, it's difficult the interaction obviously and um, it takes so much love and so uh, such a huge ability to talk and to encourage people to access that and right. to talk about it because um uh, it really feels like a taboo. I feel that it's actually easier to talk about sex than talk about emotions and yes, feelings. Definitely. Um, even and though it's also a taboo. People, well, depending how really you want to talk it about if it. You want to talk about emotions and feelings yeah, and sex yeah. together. Yeah. Like do you know? Do you know when you cry and then right. and then they are completely disgusted right, or right, just. Right embarrassed and not able to relate to you crying yes. and it, and you feel like you're <laughs> doing something completely wrong when it's just out of your control when you know when you're well, having my problem. A, a outburst of emotion no. and someone will say sorry for you no. and I'm crying and someone else oh, I'm so sorry what they really I mean couldn't is, please I, stop crying yeah <laughs> yeah please stop please it stop you, you, you're affecting my personal bubble yeah yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. and that's been my problem in a way in that like you I can't hide my emotions mm. but like growing up you know in the UK with all of these other things I've like I can't hide them but nor can I understand them or process them that's why I thought of myself as being someone who was emotionally literate because you know I was bullied for being emotional I was mm. uh, even in my family because I was it's kind not of encouraged from, it's not socially right. encouraged yeah but at the same time that didn't mean I was understanding my emotions or even like right. articulating them yeah. very well like I yeah. used to think like I couldn't hide how I felt that's not true I couldn't hide that I was feeling things but I wasn't necessarily communicating what I was of feeling. course and like, it's a continuing lifetime process right. of understanding what it is that you're feeling and right. learning to listen you know intuition and all yeah, different aspects of, of, of non-rational thought right yeah. because we prioritize rationality over anything else right. and really as do. if that is the only ability that the mind yeah. has you well, know like it and, even uh, fully exists as well is a question that I have about rationality like I I, I believe in you know being like taking rational approaches is an interesting approach to take but like to convince ourselves that there's an objectivity out there that we can like measure us there is a, you can it fully exist. understand and rationalize over you can it. Never know otherwise your own we wouldn't position. have art yeah. right because art is challenging the very concept that you can only relate to something through rationality right. when you have works of art that will challenge right. that that will constantly deny you the possibility to rationalize over them you can only relate through feelings yeah, absolutely. you can only relate through different uh, channels yeah, of, right. of accessing that work or, or whatever it is or if it's a performance work right that yeah. you just 
can't make your mind around it. And then most people would just go, I don't like art because I don't get it. <laughs> but, no, everybody but then says that, they, but they, they can really only it. relate to it through rationalization. They, you know, they won't allow themselves to feel it. And anyway, I, I think that there are, like, as much as I've many times heard people dismiss art or, uh, what, or different branches of the arts, uh, there are very few people who really don't engage with art in their life. Oh, they yeah. just don't see what they're engaging with as art. So they don't see the soap opera that they watch as art, or they don't see the music that they're listening to in their car yeah. as art. Yeah. Like, th- there's an interesting way that people yeah. think that they're somehow separate from. Yeah, they this, deny themselves. Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't deal with that kind of thing. <laughs> <I don't deal laughs> you know, they're constantly <laughs> listening to music. Yeah, that's a very good example, actually. So, I mean, one of the things that you said. Uh, when we were talking about what we might talk about is kind of the intersections of art and life and I guess we seem to be talking about that now in, a, in, in yeah. you know, beginning to talk about yeah. it I mean, what, 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 did you mean, what do you mean by that when you the, uh, my very first approach to the team was during my MA when we were um, looking into those performance artists who made their own lives their own lives a statement of their art right. so the, they're very daily practice was a statement uh, they don't separate which it kind of touches what we were saying about the inability you know in art you don't really stop leave work in your desk and then right. go home and right, then have right, a normal right. life you, you never completely detached to it, it. Yeah. it's it, yeah it becomes a massive part but these people take it to a really extreme where there is no life, there is only art, and, 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 and that's their work, right? So they're documenting their own lives, uh, and the documentation is their work right. of art. Yes, um, rather like this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, where you, your life is a work of art, isn't it? Yeah. And, and you have so many examples in all sorts of art, people that fully embraced that and, and refused to separate uh, so I find that extremely interesting. You, you hear the stories, and um, you have this this personalities. Obviously, that make it clear. You know, Andy Warhol, and right. you know how you couldn't separate, or Picasso, right. or so many famous actresses, and uh, you have all these examples. But if you really delve into their work, it's a I, I find it fascinating the ability to see art. You just said that actually. It's the capacity to see art where you want, right? To see the beauty, to see the harmony where there isn't. Right. You know, musicians, when they hear a machine, they're like, oh, that's that tone. And then they see the music. They, they yes. literally yes. listen to the music, or a painter will see the column, will see the work. The photographer sees the picture before he takes it. It's that ability to see art before it is framed right. as art. Right, right, right. And if you expand that to your life, to your day, you have so many examples of that and these artists are the people refusing to separate and refusing to say no, it only starts being art at this moment now, now it's art but before that I was actually just preparing, there there isn't that separation and I was mesmerised by that, especially coming from theatre where you have all that pre-work, all that preparation and and you know how you perform that play over and over and over, but it's 
considering her, so it's not the play yet until you have the audience. And I couldn't quite agree with that. It it is the play. Yes, it does need the audience, but it it is already a work of art. The process it's already a work of oh, art, and yeah, and, yeah. and that's what's most interesting actually in my work. I find the process is usually so much more enriching and nurturing, interesting than than the than the limited results that only happens for a limited amount of time and for the podcast we will have a result but the whole process of constructing and of learning a new skill and of challenging myself to a new project of something that I had never done was so much more interesting well I haven't heard the actual <laughs> result yeah, I don't know. Right, but I'm, I'm guessing uh, that's how I feel about it usually you know the, the whole construction process is usually so much more interesting so yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons, that's one of the things we love about it, like making it, is we just don't know what will happen. And as, like, Jen comes from a kind of writing background where you do, know, like, you know, you, you write the thing and that's the thing. You yeah. know what to expect. Yeah. You've written it, it came from you. And so it's so exciting for her to, to capture these new ideas that we didn't have, but, like, that came from our ideas. They're, like, kind of, yeah, it's like fireworks, kind of, yeah. more like, you know, brain brain synapses flaring or whatever. And waving them together. together, yeah. One of the things that you talked about as well when we were talking about what we should talk about is theatre and anthropology as being things that you see as kind oh, of connected with each other. Yeah. Oh, I've, I, love, I love so much the ability to play the anthropologist's role and just, <laughs> you know, people watch right. or... Um, which is so much to do about what we were talking about different cultures and, and, and the ability yeah, yeah, and to, to be able yeah. to analyse or to relate to it from the distance right? you can't really see the picture until you take a few steps back right. I understand so much more of my background and of my childhood now that I live abroad <laughs> I have so much better understanding of, of what it actually meant to me to be in Brazil in, in those years yeah I'm, I'm fascinated on the intersection of anthropology and theatre particularly to do with rituals very interested in, in rituals and and that very thin line that separates what's theatre and what's ritual. It's a very, very thin right. blurred line. Right. Um, and I just find it fascinating. I had a teacher... Wow, look at the it's silence! Very, very <laughs> the children have left now. It started with a, a teacher that I had in um, my BA in acting um, back home... Um, I had a very revolutionary teacher that had just, at the time, she went to do her PhD in Australia, actually, and she had just returned. And the base of my acting BA is much more body-based than voice-based, which is part of my disappointment with voice theatre, which is only based on the voice and on the text, because I come from a background where the body is, I don't want to say in, it's not more important, but it's just as important as, but but it doesn't have to be the focus, but it's really well addressed, let's just put it that way, yeah, 
yeah, and sometimes I feel that it's completely neglected. You just have talking heads in, in on stage nowadays. And, you, and that um, must be frustrating for you in very, anyways, because yeah. you're now someone who works quite a lot with only yeah. your voice, right? You do voiceovers. Yeah. I mean... Yeah. No, 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 I do a lot of dance of... and performance work. No, but, no, no, I know. But, but it like, does, yeah. Yeah, yeah it does. It does. I, I do miss it. So I come from this background where more than often uh, the character construction is started in the body and then... From the body, you find the voice. Right. You find the, the, the character from the body. So it's the the, the chain, the subject chains. They were much more heavily focused in the body and in the acting. And I had very very little classes on voice work. Actually, I'm not saying that's the right thing. It's just how it was. I, I resent not having as many voice yeah. um, classes, especially with the amount of voice acting work that I'm doing now and I had to learn it doing it really but um, that was my background and in one of the acting classes uh, this teacher just we were looking at incorporation rituals we were studying Stanislavski and um, she took the word incorporation quite literally and we went to see rituals of incorporation in candomblé circles, I suppose that's how you call it. So we l- literally went to see the rituals, and that was mind blowing. And we did the very anthropological, you know, with our notebooks, watching a beautiful, gorgeous ritual, and we're just writing down notes. And um, a very, very dear friend of mine was called in to teach us the the movements of each of the gods, and you know, the the their sacred dances and. Um, that was so enriching, and that was my very first contact with it. I was completely, completely mesmerized by it, how beautiful it was. And those people were incorporating. They were, they receive the saint, they incorporate, they become sacred, and they play out characters. Right. It's, it's a very, I hope I'm not offending anyone in any religion. I'm really not religious, but um, I'm I really want to be very careful with the choice of words. But I, I genuinely admire those rituals. And then ever since I come across a different ritual and their ability to transcend, to transform, to enter right. a different state of consciousness, that they stop behaving what they are in their daily basis right. and, and become something else what how they define that something else is what separates theater from ritual and that's right. where that intersection is that's, most interesting that separation is a very hard one to fully articulate as well because i mean i also see a lot of connections between kind of religious experiences of various different kinds and art why i aspire to do in in art is to change people's understanding yeah. that is what religion also aims yeah, to do yeah. Like the, the very origin of, of theatre is on religious practice yeah, transcendent experiences immersive, everyone likes to talk about immersive theatre cathartic you know, what, yeah. what, what else is that but a kind of religious experience in some ways, like to be immersed in it, something also, so that you lose yourself and you become part of yeah, the bigger yeah. whatever, like yeah. uh, Jungian you kind of you know, collective and collective unconscious. Unco- I love that. Um, yes, uh, also what you define as religious as well, isn't it? Because, right. you, you know, people have different relationships with 
the sacred, right? Uh, which was a, a very interesting to work on Violetta, the character on, on the Family Tree podcast, because her relationship with the sacred and how she can pursue her very own idea of her becoming sacred because she she achieved she touched herself her very own idea of what sacred means she found herself in the place of something that she considers sacred so you know and and that's her very own it's not a religion in itself it's her very own so the people's different relationships with sacred with religion uh, goes into so many extremes and so many directions. Um, unfortunately, some of them very, very harmful right. and violent. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. also, it, cooking could be cooking, something yeah, yeah. very sacred. Absolutely. And you know, the the very well, the, the very concept of ritual doesn't really have to be right. something it's just out of yeah. and construction and yeah. symbolism and yeah. all of these things exactly. mixed yeah. together. Yeah. yeah. So so you you can you can find it in in so many different levels how you always do something that very particular way on your daily routine and you have to do it that right. way, you know. If you have a toddler you understand <laughs> how much a control freak you are and how you need the person to understand that it has to be done that specific way. Otherwise it's not correct and obviously it's not right and that's the whole idea behind rituals that it has to be that way and um, yeah, it kind of locks us in yeah. as well. Like, it, there's there's a there's a conformity and a kind of uniformity and stuff that also comes through kind of ritual and religion. Yeah. There's like kind of almost kind of the more negative aspect of the of this kind of whole thing that is. Yeah, uh, but ritual. also yes, and the fear that comes with it of yeah. you of you, you not obeying. Right. Yeah, yeah. What if you get it wrong. Yeah, but I find. What's most interesting to me as my research into the intersection of these two theatre and anthropology is the transformative aspect, I think, and how after ritual there is a transformation. Right. You've, and, and that's the art that I'm interested on, um, that changes you, is that element that stays with you, that you leave that place, that ritualistic practice differently than how you entered right. that transformation is what's truly interesting the, well that's the ideal for art yeah you know yeah. that's the ideal yeah. like what I would like the biggest compliment to me is that someone says you know that touched me or changed yes me. yes you know, that I came in in one mood yeah. and I came out in another yeah. mood whatever yeah. that mood is yeah 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 and and the ability <clears throat> to do that to the other to your audience right. or participants if it's a ritual it's not an audience it's participants but it, um because we can very easily enter very self-indulgent right, <laughs> practice right, right, right. where it's very transformative and very therapeutic for yeah, you yeah, as yeah. an artist. And, oh, it does me so well to do that yeah, work. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, it's, it's yeah. working wonders, but it's not touching anyone. That's it's not. Right. So the ability to make a change is what it's actually all about, I yeah, think. And, and, and I miss it so much. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's interesting as well what you're saying about like the physicality, the body, this being kind of the, your background as well, having kind of acted with you in a scene like for the family tree, you know, that's one of the things that was very, very clear to me in that, in, in that performance is that you, you, did, you do act that part very mm, physically yeah. and that's right for that part as well. 
Um, but it's also that's something that all of the actors in the show do. I think it's an interesting nice. thing because it's it's not like like traditional radio acting. Everybody's sort of stood in a line with a script, like speaking into a microphone. But on the family tree, everybody physically is in the space. They're physically doing oh. things. And what I always say, even in getting better acquainted, when I'm interviewing people, is physical movements come through in the voice, yeah. in the sound. Like, yeah. there's, like when I have a very physical, you know, I've had many people who talk half with their body and half with their mouths. And, I, and they always say, you know, I'm sorry that all of this isn't coming across properly. And I'm always like, no, a lot more is coming across than you think yeah. because yeah. It, that affects how yeah. your voice sounds. It affects yeah. how I respond to you and all of those yeah. things. Yeah. Kind of go, you know, and I, I'm doing it now. I'm talking a bit with my yeah. hands. I'm saying. <laughs> I, I do the Italian thing the whole time. <laughs> um, it's really nice for you to say that because people listen to it and... Um, they don't really know, they don't really figure out what's actually happening there when, when the result is only an audio, but there's so much more to it, yeah. it isn't it? Um, and, and the way you indulge it and the way you feed it is really interesting. Right. Where I remember that was a, a, it was a very simple thing. You say, oh, you're doing a very cat smile. And that, it, it meant, it, it, it was such a massive... Um, it's like this feed, you know, yeah. um, food for thought. And uh, it really made a difference in, on, on that sense, how you interact and how you act right. with, with the different actors. And, and yeah, definitely, uh, it's all in the body. And I don't understand why people deny their bodies so much. And right. I don't understand why people live in their heads and they think their bodies is just a, a, a means of transportation. I mean, I'm They're just the, moving. I mean, the, their body only serves as transporting their heads around I know, I know what you're saying I am one of those people in some ways like I do live in my head more than my body I like to be more embodied like I I, I did a year of dance at university when nice. I was studying well theatre uh, and I did that I did that because uh, the courses that I wanted weren't available and mm. I thought what's the most interesting thing in this scenario is to put myself out of my comfort zone and so I, I did spend a, nice. a year doing dance and, and, and it did eat up all my life you know when I'm when I, you know I was talking to, from personal experience of how you know committing to theatre or dance is a, is a bigger commitment than you necessarily you don't always realise what you're committing to until yeah. you're there <laughs> Um, oh, doing, definitely, yeah. Um, and, and that was great. And I, you know, I, I was more in, I have been always more embodied since then. I learned how to use my body in some yeah. ways, although I'm still very clumsy. Um, and how it affects, yeah. it completely affects your your perception and how you relate to the world around you right. and um, and your feelings and, and your thoughts even, you know, and yeah, how, you, how you can control everything really through your body and how people deny that is just beyond my understanding yeah I mean it's it, to, to, to face your body to deal with your body though it, it requires lots of you know complicated things within oh, the cultures course, that yeah. we live in I think uh, that's the, a big the part the psychology it. around it yeah like the yeah. reasons why people become displaced from their bodies are, are, are to do with all of these kind of cultural messages it's cultural in yes. so many ways yeah like, you know that's that's part of, like, if the British class system that we've referred to has kind of taught people to have, like, stiff upper lip and be stiff, like, it, it, it's and, embodied us and, in this physical distant. way. Yeah. yeah that, that, you know, we are embodied, but we're, we're very, like, unflexible, all of these things that very kind of come with that yeah. cultural pressure yeah. around that. Very compressed, right. it feels. Um, I started uh, a contact improv uh, practice through dance which is beautiful it's just so gorgeous to do it and um, I first started 
in a very diverse group with people from all over the world and it went very smoothly, naturally. And then I enrolled in a course where they were all English and it was a completely different <laughs> experience. And people were so afraid to touch and the whole practice is touch. It's how you move through touch, how you rely, how you trust someone else and you know how you use your body as a platform for someone else's movement and, and how you flow together and it was such a massive wall for people to go through and be able to surrender and touch you know and, and the, literally like very simple exercises that you have to put your weight you have to lean all your weight into someone else and I have to move underneath and you know learn my yeah, way around right, with, and, and you have to not be sustaining yourself I need to to, to hold you and right. they just wouldn't let go and you feel it and you're like come on you can let go I can hold you I'm not that weak and they're like and they're still holding it back and they're completely tense and it won't work that the whole movement the whole practice is about you surrendering and trusting yeah. and I mean, I letting go of your weight but so yeah yeah culturally it's so difficult for someone I mean, to actually it. trust that you yeah. will hold them because they were taught not I mean I definitely I've done that I've done that kind of a, a, a that kind of exercise but with people I've been working with for a long time and but by that stage I was more comfortable with them but yeah. also like I've, I've never done that theater exercise where you throw yourself back and you're caught by people yeah, I, I don't trust people oh, we 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 d we weren't um, on that stage. No, no, trust no, me, right, we we're right, very right. basic, like basic. from the floor, right. and they still wouldn't trust. And and it's and it's psychological. Everything, so much of what you're culturally limiting someone um, has in so many influences throughout their life. I used to be a cycling instructor for some time. Uh, I'm actually that's one of my. <laughs> One other thing that I didn't mention, I'm a national standard cycling instructor and I used to teach people how to ride off-road and on the road on backability level one, two and three. And um, backability level one is basically teaching someone how to ride. And so much of the work is psychological, the technical element of teaching someone the mechanics of how to ride. They learn in five seconds. It's not that complicated, but talking through the fear of falling of trusting of you know of uh, the ability to right. to be courageous and to, to actually ride well. yeah and, and rely on yourself else. yeah it's, just, it's you yeah it, it's it's so psychological in so many ways and um the work that i was doing last year with my community dance group it's very related uh, to that as well it's all about falling and recovering and it's also and we because we were doing community work it's about engaging people on the street sometimes people inside right. the theater right, right, and right. and the complete inability to even touch people won't let you even touch them at first even though they can see they can understand it's a performance and they see you touching other audience members but they still are will be very reluctant to allow you to touch. And if you see that they're trusting you and they're more courageous, you can try to take them down and have a little dance or, or you know, very little, very basic. But the ability, the having to overcome your fear to fall, even though it's a controlled fall in our case, 
it's such a massive work and it's and you have all the associations that the person makes right. to the feeling of failure and what will people say and it will the laugh and you, what does that mean and well, how yeah. am I going to get back yeah and being in a vulnerable place and all of that so so much of it 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 is culturally constructed whereas if you do that kind of work with actors <laughs> You have a problem because right. they won't they won't let you go oh, and, the, and the, yeah, yeah they would you know <laughs> so the, that ability to respect someone's limit and somehow still encourage them to overcome and right. uh, to take a step forward towards so it comes from becoming vulnerable that's I mean that's a really good approach to that kind of practice because it's like if you force somebody I mean. A, Apart from all of the kind of issues around, it's not consensual. No. But if you, but if you force somebody to to do something that they're not comfortable with, they won't learn to be brave. They'll no. they'll be forced yeah. to do something and have to deal with it. And and, and, and so it's yeah. much better to like for it to, to come from them. Yeah. For them to learn yeah. how to deal with. Yeah, of course, and 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 feel really it on practice. their own body and and understand yeah. that they're able, realize right. their their ability to do it. Because most people just think, no, I can't dance. My right. partner's like, that. Right, no, I right, can't right. dance. And I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, it, yes, you can. Um, it, someone told him at some point, yes. a, a primary school teacher told him that he was, yeah. <laughs> he had two left foot, whatever how you say yeah. it. But, you know, yes, you can. He's a great singing. dancer. Like, but yeah, there you go. Someone tells you, no, 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 yeah, like, no, you can't do it. Everyone can sing. Yeah. Like, even if you can't hold a, a, a note, and there are some people who can't, can't sing in tune. There are there, 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 I've met those people occasionally, and it's a challenge to my policy that everybody can sing. But like, <laughs> even those people can learn to like tune in and like be rhythmic, or like to, there are other ways of like singing, like of responding to the idea of singing. And also, being in tune isn't relevant always. If you're singing at home it on isn't, your own, yeah. who cares if you're in tune? I was going to say that my son strongly disagrees with you. He really, really thinks that I can't sing and I really like to annoy him. <laughs> he strongly disagrees with you. No. But yeah, yeah, just, you know, I think it's a very cruel, horrible thing to make a child believe that they can't do something. Right. There isn't something worse do to do to a child than. probably learn. Like with holding a note, most people can learn and some people can't. And it will be the same with dance. There'll be some skills that most people can learn if they're not natural. Like flexibility. Some people are naturally not very flexible, but they can teach their body yeah. in the same way that we teach our, our minds. Of course. To, to do that. Yeah, but you know, you know, you don't have to be flexible to right. dance. That's ballet. That's, That's you know specific. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There are so many other ways to engage yeah. with your body in movement that it's also dance. Right. You know. Um, you don't have to play an instrument to be a musician. Absolutely. Um, you don't have to do theatre to be an actor. So there are so many other ways to engage with it. Then um, th- I think these are all excuses that people make. Oh, I can't do that because you know I'm not flexible and all. I think it's just you know this. Well, it's their, it, it's their rationalisation of. Of like, course, it's with the, their it, fear, it, I guess, yeah, or it's their, or their, their defence mode yeah. saying no, I don't have to be vulnerable in this place because I have this very rational right. and completely understandable reasons why I shouldn't be engaging with that, and, and, and you should understand. They're repeating things that people have told them, like whether it's directly that they've told them or they've just yeah. absorbed this information from the culture around them. Of it's, it's still a like kind yeah. of learn barrier that they're putting in place for their own 
uh, for themselves. Like that's the, the the sad thing about this kind of thing. Like the, the barriers we we stop ourselves from all of these different ways of enjoying the world that our bodies and our minds offer us. Yeah. Um, we kind of limit ourselves. And then interesting, like one of the like the last thing on the list of things that you sort of talked about. Uh, before we started recording is mythology and I can see how that fits with some of the things you've been talking about it makes sense of, right yeah, yeah. Like everything fits really well rituals yeah. and theatre and, and, and art you know that's, mythology is, is, is all about those kind of topics right yeah even anthropology because mythology comes from different cultural backgrounds oh definitely they're, they're completely um, related and I find it very difficult to separate them and it's that it's what what we said uh, at the beginning how how we learn through association and how it's inevitable. So at some point, I always stumble upon these topics, even though I'm making a sci-fi fantasy podcast and I'm stumbling <laughs> on mythology and you yeah. know anthropomorphic religions and uh, <laughs> you know it, it's. Inevitable and and um... well, mythology didn't stop as well. Like like when we think about mythology, we think about history. Basically, we think of historical belief systems or like ways of explaining the world that became yeah. kind yeah. of legends. It or, is their history. But, it's but, how but, they. But they... it's not just history, is it? Because we can't see the mythology that we're in now. That's the interesting thing. Like when we think about mythology, like people are like, oh, I don't like myths. Oh, but I, I want to go see Zero a comic fantasy. book movie, right? Yeah. Like a comic book movie oh, yeah. is a mythology. Oh. Like all of these heroes. Tell me about it. And I get so it. frustrated right. how they do it wrong. But anyways, <laughs> um, that's another topic. Um, that very human basic need to understand the world they live in and how they create stories around it to explain and how they explain under terms that they have available. Right. So now today we have science and that's how we rely on to explain the world around us. The very, very human need to relate and to, and to pass that story verbally. They build their stories around those stories and how those stories become more than just stories. They, 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 they're true and they believe they're true. When you look at the just ancient, as people still believe the Bible is yeah, still right. true, you know, in, in, in so many other senses, people still rely on so many stories and you have terrorism people killing other people believing in stories right it is so. stories that, I mean but, but that's always been the case as well and, and when we when we talk about the ancient Greeks like, it, like they were scientists and they were storytellers and they were religious people like all of those things it, there was no divisions no there were no separation back then no and like whereas now we kind of separate science um, and separate religion and separate art and actually it makes us see all of those things a little bit less well at the same time as seeing them more starkly I agree, I find it focus. so much more interesting the intersection right, how they the, mix together yeah, yeah. yeah, it's usually so much more interesting you know and in, 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 even within their own branches when visual art mixes with performance work or you know when cinema mixes with theatre I find it so much more interesting the intersections the blurred lines are so much more rich and it feeds so much of it still feeds so much of our understanding of how we perceive the world and society history itself it's it's so much based on on mythology and people have this reluctance to look back or to study back because they think it's primitive right something it's like a step backwards 
looking back, isn't it? I, uh, I remember a very good friend of mine back in acting school when we had the, one of the most interesting subjects I did. It was the history of theatre. I was completely fascinated, obviously, yeah. as you can tell. Yeah. And, uh, and he used to hate it, and he used to say, I don't want to be studying these Greek tragedies. And, and he wanted to be, you know, doing... Harapinton and Albi and contemporary and naturalistic and realistic writers whereas the very base of all that all that dramaturgy is on 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 the tragedies and and so look it's not a step backwards it's much more likely a step forward into a much better understanding of where we are isn't it I mean if you want to understand the birthday party you probably need to read Oedipus Rex right they're, 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 like Harold Pinter was drawing on uh, mythology, like it's, it, and you know on the classics of theatre. Like it's really interesting yeah. that people think that, that, that it's possible to escape from history. Everything that we are is no. formed by history. I know that. Ooh, we can talk about that for so long. <laughs> it's been a pleasure uh, sitting down and getting better acquainted with you. I feel like. Uh, you're someone who's so easy to talk to. That's Aww. one of the things that we found nice. preparing for the family tree. Like I may have said I didn't know you that well, but in a way I did because every time we sat down in preparation for the family yeah. tree, we both talked about more there's, than just the there's art. There's a very we easy making. connection there, yeah. isn't it? And then how do you really ever get to know someone, isn't well, it? What, you live with someone for mean? years, yeah. yeah, and you still don't. What does it mean right. to know someone? I know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I know myself. Like let alone other people. It's a process. It it, it's a process. It we're, we're ongoing. Yeah. So the last question that I ask everybody uh, is: Do you have anything to plug? Yeah, listening <laughs> to the Family Tree podcast. <laughs> um, no, I don't at the moment. I'm involved in projects that are beyond my reach to promote or I can't really talk about them because I signed a confidentiality agreement. Right, right, right. Or, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think it is a Family Tree podcast, the most reachable one, and I quite like that. That's something that, you know, it's, it's <laughs> on the net. About it as yeah, well. and we, so and, kind of, and yeah. The episode itself has been a bit of a plug for that. Because <laughs> uh, it, it, it's going to very, well, at this moment of what, what, what is on air currently. Yeah. It's going on, on completely different directions yeah, yeah, from, yeah. from season one, so I'm very curious about what's going to go. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, an interesting thing about like, performers like, in the show that you do your part and you know what and happens. And you have in no that, control over it, yeah. Everything else, <laughs> yeah. And how it's all fitting together, and yeah. like, what the hell is happening. Yeah. Like, it's definitely this season is, is a bit like that. It's like goes to some very different places and then things will come together. Like, uh, don't. Don't kind of like panic any listeners to the family tree and think we don't know where we're going. We we know where we're, we know where we're going. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I'm sure you do know. I don't. No, no, no. Um. Right, 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 right. The last thing I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Ah, goodbye. Ciao. Bye, everyone. If you're interested in hearing about masculinity and what patriarchy does to men and to all people then if you go to the unbound website and there'll be a link to this in the show notes you can find mansplaining masculinity over there and pre-order a copy of that book unbound is a kind of cross between a publishing company and a crowdfunding company which means that the way that the books get published is that people who want to read the books 
pre-order those books. They can pre-order them as a digital copy or as a hardback, or they can pledge more money to get different kinds of things along with the book that they're pre-ordering. You can find all of that stuff over on mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk. If you're interested in reading about me and my dad and our relationship and dementia and memory and time and history and politics and love and friendship check out my essay series down to a sunless sea memories of my dad as well as making getting better acquainted i also co-produce and i guess star in the magical realist audio drama podcast the family tree in order to keep making it and to make season two as good as we want it to be we need your help so if you can afford to then please do consider signing up to our patreon appeal you can follow getting better acquainted on twitter at gba podcast you can like getting better acquainted on facebook and you can find getting better acquainted on itunes soundcloud those kind of places But remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.